Our great God, Father, Son, Spirit, we come before you giving you thanks and praise for who you are. For truly, as we read earlier, how excellent is your name in all the earth. How excellent is your name in all the earth. We look upon our, our world around us, and oftentimes we see very little acknowledgement of this truth. That truly you are excellent, truly you are righteous, truly you are holy, truly you are the one who deserves the praise of man. Even to the extent that you would require it. Because it is right, because it is good. Lord, often we fail in our worship. We often fail to stop and give you the glory, to give you the honor that is due your name. In fact, every time we do sin, in a way we turn away from you and we fail to do that which is good and right, again, to worship you, to have a mind, to have a heart where your spirit dwells, that we would be conscious of it, that we would know that we are your people, adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ, atoned for and established in your grace and in your mercy that we might serve you in all that we do. Truly an amazing thing and yet such a simple thing that we need to do to rely upon you to know you, to learn of you, to grow in grace and knowledge. Lord, we pray that you would indeed bless us, that you indeed would teach us, that you would motivate us even, that we might serve you all the more. Sometimes when we look around in the church and we see conflicts and struggles. And yet, in this time of worship, we're called not to dwell on those, but to dwell on you. To be thankful for what you have given us. To be thankful that you continue to hold us as those who have been adopted even from the foundations of the earth. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. 
We pray that we would be honest and upright, that we would speak clearly to all regarding the testimony that you have given us. Grant us, Lord, these things we pray. We do ask that you would uh, bless our church and bless the denomination. We thank you particularly for Matt Dudley and his uh, being approved um, to be recommended to the congregation as an elder. And even though his service will be in, uh, in Pella, Iowa, that nonetheless we have a bond with him. And we pray, Lord, that you would direct uh, Pastor Meether and the other members as they seek to, again, glorify you, to give you honor, and to bring many to worship you as they ought. We pray, Lord, for the various missions that we have throughout the world, from Africa and Congo, the Philippines, for, again, the French-speaking, the Heidelberg Seminary in, in Germany, and many, many others, Lord, that seek to do your work in declaring the gospel of salvation, but more so, to declare the gospel that you are God, that you are not only Savior, but you are holy, you're righteous, you're immutable, you do not change. You're glorious. We pray that that gospel would go out. Hearts would be changed through the working of your spirit Sin would be met with conviction and repentance. And that again, it would be all to your glory and to your honor. And we do ask your blessing now, even on the reading of your word and uh, the words that will be spoken here. Lord, that you would guide and direct, that you would cause these uh, words to be in line with your word and that it would be for your glory and for your honor's sake. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll make uh, one note before I begin uh, our reading here um, that uh, we have been in the past uh, um, transmitting the service on Facebook uh, from the very beginning of the service throughout the message and so forth. And uh, we made a decision to not do that um, my singing had nothing to do with it, okay? Um, but we, uh, to, uh, 
to, to so that it is more clear and and beneficial. Um, and so, if you're you're not here on a Lord's Day and you tune in at eleven o'clock, you may not see anything until roughly uh, eleven thirty, when around that time when the sermon would begin. So we're in. First Corinthians and in chapter 10, and we're going to be just focused for the most part on verses uh, 29 to the end, but I want to begin with verse uh, 23 in our reading. Hear the word of the Lord, again, from First Corinthians 10 and verse 23. All things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greek, or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Thus ends our reading of God's word. In looking at chapter 10, it's been a little kind of a bumpy ride, if you would. Uh, it, the chapter begins in verses 1 through 5, speaking about Israel passing through the sea, being baptized by the mist, God providing food and drink, spiritual food and drink, but with most of them, he was not well pleased. And because of that, their bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. In verse 6 through 13, it talks about how uh, this is an example for us. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They were tempted and committed Sin of sexual lust, immorality, complacency, and idolatry.
Idolatry is essentially the cry that says God is not enough. We need more. That the holy and righteous God is not enough. We need an idol. Particularly for those who are in the church, for those in Israel who were under the true God. In verse 13, we are given a tremendous promise, though. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. And again, he repeats in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In verses 15 to 22, he addresses our life with each other and how we are in Christ, united in his shed blood and body, which is symbolized, again, in the Lord's Supper. And again, to add an idol to that is to provoke God. It's to say the sacrifice was not sufficient. We need more. And verse 22 says, Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What a question. But we have a commitment by God to guide and to direct us. And the sacraments remind us of who we are in Christ. And that we desire then to put off sin and live for God, which is to live as he directs with liberty. We have liberty in Christ. Verse 23 that I began with, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but the other's well-being. That's a hard pill for us sometimes to swallow. To not seek our own, but to act and conduct ourselves for others. It then goes on to speak of how our conscience uh, works in our favor, that is, given, giving us that liberty I spoke of regarding uh, false and essentially make-believe religious practices, idol worship. But in exercising our liberty, we're given a bit of a, um, a rebuke, if you would, or an admonition to be sensitive to the conscience of others, particularly others in the church. But it can also go to others who are not in the church. That we be sensitive to their conscience, that we not offend them, particularly unnecessarily.
And he gives the example of something pretty common. It's called eating food. And somebody comes and they offer you some food, and great, let's have lunch. And then they tell you, oh, by the way, that was sacrificed to an idol. And so a lot of people's conscience that Paul is speaking of is actually sinful. The idea that somebody would do that is a sinful thing. We're not to, I mean, he's repeated it multiple times here, that we should not have any idols. It's a basic command. And as we encountered various people, we find various superstitions that people hold. Everything from don't let a black cat walk out in front of you to uh, the sense that certain items are, are, have some kind of charming effect on us. Uh, all kinds of things that are out there in this world uh, that for us, it's just, it's just plain, clear, and simple. It's, it's something that's wrong. But even as we see these things and know they're wrong, we still have an obligation to be sensitive to those who don't understand even the things that they believe. So there's a little bit of apologetic lesson here. We don't just simply shoot first and then ask questions. When we see somebody in error, we come alongside of them. We hear them and we bring instruction. And we're slow to speak, just as James speaks about it. And we're quick to listen quick to hear. And then last week we ended in talking about uh, the heart of man and how it is that our own hearts operate in, in all of this. And how it is that out of the heart, scripture says it comes the issues of life. Out of the heart is demonstrated value systems. Out of the heart are changes, and those changes are actually brought about by the Spirit of God working in us to do the will of God, what is pleasing and right in his sight. In Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it is out of this heart that has been changed by God that the church, particularly the elders, particularly the ministers, are entrusted with the word of God, are entrusted to preach and to declare the word. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And that same power, the power of the Spirit working in us, it allows us to love. 
to truly love. First Timothy 1.5 says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which, having strayed, some have turned aside to idle talk. As we see in verse 29, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Paul is, ask, is calling us here to love. To not be the one that says, I'm offended by this, but rather that we would use our liberty to be careful in how we care for those around us and be sensitive even to their conscience, even if we totally disagree with them. And then there is what I would call a crescendo. Verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. Such a simple statement. All to the glory of God kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Three points on this. One is regarding giving an offense or causing an offense. The second is this notion of pleasing men in all things. And then what does it mean that I'm not going to seek my own profit, but the profit of many? And how does that in to somebody being saved. First, let's think about this phrase, to do all to the glory of God. What does it mean to glorify God? For that matter, what is God's glory? When we think of God's glory, uh, we have a selfish side that always likes to think of what benefit we gain by it. And we think the fact that God saved me and spared me, a sinner worthy of death, a sinner worthy of condemnation, that that certainly speaks to God's glory. And it does. But it's a little selfish, isn't it? It's, it's, I'm thinking about my own self immediately. And we might even look around creation and, and see all of the various things in creation and think, you know, God did a good job. Hey, we agree with Genesis 1. Well, after he finished creating the very aspect, it was good. And we can agree with that. And that's good to do. 
But again, if I'm giving thanks to God because I had a great garden this year. By the way, I didn't have one. If I had a great garden, if I had a great, you know, everything I planted just produced. And I was sharing it with everybody who would take it. I remember hearing about somebody who would bring zucchini to the church and drop it off on the front door and then run away um, because of the abundance. You know, and we give thanks to God for that. We glorify God for that. We're thankful for that. And again, it's good to do that. But it's still, though, selfish, isn't it? It can almost begin to look like I'm going to give thanks to God when he proves himself to be worthy of my thanks. We want to avoid that all together. Romans 1 speaks of God's glory, and it speaks, we can flip back to it. Um, I, I taught from this not terribly long ago, but I guess it's been a while. And you have a very interesting picture of people who fall in head over heels, if you would, into sin. And the sins are various. Uh, we, we, the, the immediate sin that it speaks about um, is uh, where man um, begins to, uh, to lust after other men and women after other women. But the, the, the laundry list of sin really is quite extensive um, because it goes on to talk about how uh, people are filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, what got that kick started? That whole laundry list there, what got that kick started? We find it in verse 22 and following. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Idol worship. Failing to glorify God as they ought and at the same time creating their own God. That was the heart of where all of this occurs. That's the beginning. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, verse 25, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. 
for even their women, again, exchanged uh, the natural use for what was against nature. So the glory of God, understanding it and giving God glory, is a very important thing. And it goes way beyond the concept of what can I personally be thankful for. Because what it does, when we consider God's glory, one, we're not defining it. We're letting God define it. We're letting God reveal to us who he is. And he does that in his word. And he does it clearly in his word. Murray says, regarding Romans 1, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Again, man is without excuse if, in fact, he does not worship God in the face of his visible handiwork. And so the idea that we do see these things in nature, we do see the power of God, in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, in the galaxies. Or we go to the microscope and we just begin to start going down to the cellular levels and the, and, and the atomic levels and then the subatomic levels and on and on. And we see the infinite aspect of our creation. And we understand God spoke and it was. That's glory. That's God's glory. That's how he accomplished it. And so these things do teach us directly. All of these things teach us regarding who God is. Both his word, spoken revelation, and his manifestations uh, that we can see in creation. Murray makes an interesting statement. He says, to glorify God as God is not to augment God's glory or to add to it. It means simply to ascribe to God the glory that belongs to him as God, to give him in thought, affection, and devotion, the place that belongs to him and virtue of that perfections, which the visible creation, in fact, does make known, and his word makes known. So as we think about that, and we go back to this passage that speaks about that we should not give offense. That we should not cause a brother to stumble because we know something that he doesn't know. How's that connect to what I was just talking about in the glory of God? How much do you understand God's glory? 
Should I look down upon you because you don't have it down pat? Should I think ill of you because you don't comprehend the scope of God's glory? No, what happens then? I cause offense. I offend people. And I can offend people even by declaring what is true. And it has to give us a lot of pause. It has to bring us to our knees where we pray because we know our weakness. We know that when we speak, we too often put our foot in our mouth. I am a good example of that. I'm quite qualified. So when we give God glory, we need to quiet our own hearts and our own thoughts and look at what God would have us to say, what God would have us to do. And what does Paul say here? In verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things. Paul has a goal, a personal goal, to please everyone. He is submitted to everyone. He sees himself as last, not the first. He is willing to lay down his life, and he often does in situations, and God brings him out of them. But the only reason he can do this is because he's comprehending and maybe I should say he's beginning to comprehend the glory of God. It's not about what he thinks. It's about what God, who God is and what God has done. That's it. Jeremiah 13 and verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness before your feet stumble on the dark mountain. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. In order to give God glory, a couple points, a couple thoughts. One way is when we open our mouths. It's hard to believe, I know. <laughs> but it's when we open our mouths. And what comes out of it that is glorifying to God. We talk about God. We talk about how he's revealed in the scriptures. We talk about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We speak of God's nature as it's described and his attributes, his sovereignty, his immutability, his unchangingness, his infinite, his holiness, his all-wiseness, if that's a word. 
his acts of creation, his truth, his righteousness, and his love. And how is it that we really, truly take this in? How is it that we really apply this sense of seeking God's glory, seeking to bear a testimony to him? We do it in worship, first and foremost. And secondly, we do it in our lives. The passage here says, in all things. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That is the central theme of the believer. What are you doing today? Oh, going fishing to the glory of God. Mowing the grass to the glory of God. Going to pick up a jackhammer, I got a job to do, to the glory of God. To serve in the office of vice president to the glory of God. We are called, regardless of where we are in life, to live for the glory of God, to do all that we do to the glory of God. And again, as we come to worship God and give him thanks and the praise that is due his name, we begin to understand that God is not us. It sounds so simple, but it's profound. God is not us. We are adopted in Christ. We are sons of the living God, but God is not us. And so we always have this dependence to walk in the spirit, the very spirit of God, so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. And Paul repeats that there in 5.25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We need to have a high view of God. We need to see um, the right need that we have to glorify God. Acts 12 23 is a bit of a scary illustration. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. I think you know who I'm talking about. I'll let you look up that passage. Because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Giving God glory is serious. We need to understand that God, again, reveals himself in his word. And who God is is not a matter of our opinion. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, 
who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to see and understand more the presence of God. And yes, these things that I'm speaking of, of now is the application. Revelation 15 and 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Revelation 19, 1, after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And then finally, Revelation 12, 21, excuse me, verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illumined it. The Lamb is its light. What a simple message. It's not us. Life is not us. Life is not about us. It's about God. It's simply about God. And giving honor and glory to his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we give you thanks and praise for indeed you are glorious. And your glory is something that we can only but see a small portion. We acknowledge that. And in, do so, in do, so doing, we request that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, continue to open your word to us, that we might have a greater understanding in both the data as well as the depth, that we would be transformed even by you, that we might truly be able to join with the Apostle Paul to say that we, we live to please all men, that we're not seeking our own profit, but the profit of many. And as the apostle tells us, that that purpose, that would work a purpose, and that purpose is the salvation of many. Oh Lord, guide us as a church, guide us as a people, direct our hearts that we might truly worship you and give you thanks that is due your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.